Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My name is Harrison. I'm the pastor here at Kingdom Church. We are beginning a brand new series called first time here. We are so excited. We're so glad that you took the time out of your day to join us here at church this morning. I promise you it's going to be the best decision you make all day. Uh, we, uh, we are beginning a brand new series at the church. Just put your hands together. Brand new series. To start our series off, I want to begin uh, in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 says this. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. He sees a net, they're fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. I'm not sure how many guys are aware of this, but uh, I am a huge sports fan. I love sports. Any sports fans in uh, the crowd this morning? Come on now. Uh, my favorite sport particularly is hockey, and uh, my favorite team is the Boston Bruins. <clears throat> Don't worry, number two is the Oilers, but uh, I love the Bruins. And so one thing that I do is I watch pretty well every single game on TV. And uh, when I watch the games on TV, it's fantastic. If any of you guys have been watching hockey for like an extended period of time, just the, the, the breakthrough in technology, the games are now not even just HD, they're in 4K. You guys know what 4K is? It's like crystal clear, 4,000 Ks, whatever the K stands for. Um, but one thing I've realized is that no matter how great the technology gets, no matter how fantastic it is, I'm still at a distance when I watch on TV. And one thing that I've realized with distance is that distance creates distortion. The farther you are away from something, the harder it is to have a clear picture of what it actually is. And so my favorite thing to do is I love to go to the games live. Have any of you guys been to a live game before? And one thing that I love to do is that I love, it's just a question, am I like having serious ambience going on? Prince, you're working on that? Or I said, we're working on that back there? Are we good? Are we good now? It's not bad. Do you guys think it's this mic? Mateos, I'm moving you away here. That wasn't a the mic then. I actually don't know anything about sound. That's why I'm preaching. My favorite thing to do is to go to the games live. And when I go to the games live, one of the things I like to do right before the game starts, I like to go down to the glass and see the players close up. And so I'm literally like this far away from them. And when I see the players close up, I realize like, oh my gosh, these guys are way bigger than I ever expected them to be. And the best thing too, if you ever get to go to a game and you're ever even close to ice level, you will realize that the game is so much faster than you think it is when you watch on TV. And the players are so much better than they are on TV. And so I love to go to the games live because it gives me a whole new perspective on the game. And they're better than I ever imagined. My, my, my one dream in life is to go to an NBA game, if there's any basketball fans. Uh, come on now. What country are we living in? thought this was Canada. Where was the hockey fans at? <laughs> I want to go to a basketball game because when I watch basketball on TV, this is where the biggest distortion actually comes from. If you guys watch basketball on TV, the players actually don't look that big. 
And the reason they don't look that big is because they're all like 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". If you were to go to a game, especially if you ever to sit courtside, you would be able to see the actual size of these players. And you would get a brand new perspective on who they are and just how big they actually are. Because the farther away you are from something, the harder it is to get an accurate picture of who they actually are. I believe that distance creates distortion. This is why rumors get out of hand so fast, is because the farther it is away from the source, the more distorted the picture becomes. We're beginning a brand new series here at church called Reimagine. Can you guys say Reimagine? To reimagine literally means to rethink. It means to think about something in a brand new way. So what we are going to do throughout this series, the next number of weeks, we are going to begin to reimagine our picture of who Jesus is. You see, for all of us, no matter what our background is, for some of us, we've been in church for a long time. For some of us, we haven't been in church very long. We've never been in church. But no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, every single one of us has a picture of Jesus. The question I want to ask this morning is, where does your picture of Jesus come from? You see, for a lot of us, our picture of Jesus comes through other people. What we've heard about, what we've seen from other people. For some of us, it's just our childhood, like things that we grew up hearing. But no matter who we are, all of us have a picture of who Jesus is. But what I want to suggest is that perhaps there are people in this room that don't have a proper and accurate picture of who Jesus is. For some of us... Maybe we've only been viewing Jesus at a distance. And what distance does is it creates distortion. And so throughout this series, what I want to do is I want us to begin to see the real picture of who Jesus was. We are going to begin to reimagine who Jesus was, who Jesus is. You see, for a lot of us, Jesus is a concept. It's a name. But I want us to see in this series that Jesus was actually a person. He walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. And from his life, we are going to begin to see new things. And I believe throughout this series, friends, we are going to see Jesus in a brand new light. And I hope for us, we are able to see that Jesus is far cooler, he's far more controversial, and he's far better than that picture that we have in our head. Because Jesus is the best. Come on, someone clap your hands. You may not believe it, but that is all right. So what we're going to be doing through this series is we're going to be looking at Jesus through the lens of someone named Mark. In the Bible, there are four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what these books are, these books are all about the life, the death, and eventually the resurrection of Jesus. And all of these books, I believe, paint us the most accurate picture of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And so what we're going to be doing through this series is we are going to be looking at Jesus specifically through the lens of Mark. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, and his book is all about Jesus. As we see in Mark's book, as we will begin to see, Mark's book is the shortest of all the Gospels. And uh, what that means is that Mark is trying to get somewhere. It wasn't short because he's like, this is so boring, I don't want to write anymore, I'm done. His gospel is the shortest because he was trying to get somewhere. For him, there was a climax in which he was trying to get to, and that climax was the death of Jesus. And so as we will see in this book that that Mark writes about Jesus, everything that he does, he's moving us towards a climax. 
And that climax is the death of Jesus. Because for Mark, the death of Jesus was so important, it was the most important thing he couldn't wait to get there. Because Mark knew that through Jesus' death is where all of us would eventually get life. And so Mark chapter 1, what we're going to do today is we are going to look at the very first thing Jesus does when he steps onto the scene. And I want us to begin to reimagine our picture of Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 16 says this. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As I said, Mark is in a hurry. And so what you will notice in Mark is that Mark uses a lot of pronouns like immediately, right away, soon after. We'll see that. There's this trend that goes through. But one thing we see in Mark's story is that Mark completely skips the whole Christmas story. Mark wasn't worried about baby Jesus. Some of you guys, you love baby Jesus. Mark does not say a word about baby Jesus. He immediately gets into the action because for Mark, he had places to be. He had places to go. And where he was going was the death of Jesus. So he says, I'm not going to talk about baby Jesus. I'm not going to talk about teenage Jesus. I'm not going to talk about that weird, awkward stage that Jesus probably went through when he was like 12 years old. He's like, I'm going to go right to his public ministry. And so this is the very first thing Mark records as Jesus saying. Jesus is about to start a movement. He's about to do something that is literally going to change the world. Now, if I was starting a movement and I wanted to change the world, I would be very careful with the first things that come out of my mouth. Like, this is Canada. We're very polite here, right? Chances are, if I was starting, like, we'd probably apologize first. Like, I'm so sorry, but can I just get your attention real quick? I just, I just have something I would like to say. And it's funny because a lot of us, like we have this picture of Jesus. Jesus was this timid. He was this dude that wore a robe and he walked around with his hands open. Come. And we have this picture of Jesus that he's soft and he's gentle. Yet what was interesting to me is some of the very first words out of Mark's, out of Jesus' mouth that Mark records were repent. That's a word that makes us very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. If I was starting a movement, I'm not going to start with that. Like, I tried to start a movement this summer when, when we created our team, and the very first things I said in the basement was not like, y'all need to repent, and then we'll get to work. Because I'm Canadian, and I'm scared. The very first words out of Mark's mouth is repent. And this can make us squirmy because all of us, I'm sure, have seen a video of some dude on the side of the road Saying, repent of your sins, therefore, for the fires of hell are burning. Maybe we've seen it in person. I've heard rumors that there's someone in Edmonton that does something like that. So some of us have seen it. Some of us have seen videos, and it makes us very uncomfortable. Because there's this picture of someone telling us that we need to change. That we need to stop doing what we're doing. And so repent has this connotation. But what I want us to see, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about who he actually was. We're reimagining Jesus. What this tells me right here is that one of the first things that Jesus was worried about when he came to earth was changing us. He came here to change us. Jesus changes us. And I want you to understand something about the word repent. The word repent does not mean what you think it means. 
You see, some of us, and the reason we don't like this word is because when we hear repent, we think it means that we need to go sit down and describe and explain every single sin that we've ever done. And that's why we don't like it. Well, Lord, today I was jealous. No one likes to be told what to do. One of the worst things that people do uh, after I speak is they try to give me advice on how to speak. I'm like, that's fantastic. When are you preaching next? But I've learned, I've learned that uh, it's actually a good thing to take advice. And uh, only a foolish person doesn't take advice. But I can still tell you how I feel. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say, I like when they rip me up. I only spent 20 hours this week on it. There's something intrinsically we don't like when people want to change us. We don't like when people want to give us advice. There's very few people that like advice, but a wise person realizes that they need it. Jesus came here to change us. But when I speak about, about sins and confessing your sins, that's not what Jesus means when he says repent. We have to understand what the word repent means. Come back with me to the Greek language. I took Greek for two years. I don't remember a thing, so this is from Google. It's a long time ago. The Greek word for repent, just so you know why, like why is it talking about Greek, trying to impress us? Uh, the, the Bible, the New Testament, was specifically and originally written in the Greek language. And so a lot of times what happens when we translate words to English, we aren't able to get the full understanding and the full meaning of the word. I have a lot of friends that are Spanish, um, and they just tell me this all the time. Like, I'm like, what did you say? And like, well, I can't really describe it in English. It doesn't give it full justice. And so this is what happens in the language in the Bible too. The words oftentimes don't give it full justice. We hear repent and we think about behavior. When Jesus talks about repentance, he's talking about our beliefs. So get this. The Greek word for repentance is meten oeo. Oeo. You don't need to remember that word. It doesn't really matter. I'm just telling you because I looked it up, and so I figured you guys would probably be interested. And what you need to understand about this word is this word in Greek, this, this word that we translate to repentance, what it means literally is to turn around. To turn around. That's what it means. But, but more specifically, it means to turn around or to change your mind as a result of a new knowledge. As a result of hearing something, my favorite definition, uh, one of these scholars, he said, it means to begin to think about something differently. Reimagine. Reimagine. And so when Jesus says this word, he's not necessarily talking about your sins. He's talking about your life. He's like, I don't want you to change behavior. Jesus' first thing wasn't like, come here, all. I want to change your behavior. No, Jesus wanted to change your belief. He wanted to literally turn your life around. He wanted you to begin to reimagine what life was all about, what the meaning of life was. So before, and understand this, because some of you guys are like, nice, Jesus doesn't want me to change ever. He does, and that includes behavior. But before Jesus ever tells us what to do, he will first tell you why you need to do it. And so when Jesus says, repent, when he says, turn around, the reason that he wants us to do that is because before he says this, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He's saying the reason you need to turn your life around is because something is here. Something has come that is about to change everything. Jesus was that person that was about to change everything. 
You see, Jesus' whole time on earth, he, he, he described what the kingdom of God looked like. He said the kingdom of God is for the poor. The kingdom of God is for the broken. It's for the hurting. It's for the weak. It's for those who have been taken advantage of. It's for anyone who has ever felt like there is something that they need, that there is a more. Jesus says, that is why I have come. I have come because I am that more. I'm that piece of your life that has been missing. You see, Jesus doesn't tell us to do anything before he tells you who he is and why you need him. Friends, the word good news, gospel, I'm not trying to give you guys language lessons today, but, but it's also a Greek word, but, but good news, it, it literally means good news. Good news means good news. The problem with Christianity and Christians is that we have made Jesus and Christ all about good advice. This is, what you need, this is what you need to do to live a better life. If you stop drinking, if you stop smoking, if you stop having sex, <laughs> then you will live the best life ever. Jesus never came to give advice. Jesus was always news. He was good news. There is a difference between advice and news. My, my wife plays on a women's soccer league team. And uh, there's a lot of her teammates who go to our church. And uh, this is not meant to offend you, people on Christie's soccer team. It's not. Uh, I go to the soccer games for Christie. I, I mean, I love the team, but I love Christie more. I'm there for Christie. So what happens when I go to the games, I spend a lot of time looking at Christy because she's my wife. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so mo most of the game, I'm, I'm focusing on her, and I, I focus on the rest of the team. Like one time, Nicole was like, how did I do this game? And I was like, good. <laughs> I was watching Christy more. I'm sorry. Uh, but the, the thing is, I, I watch her game like a hawk, and I got a coach's mind. Like, I don't know, just it's in me. I'm a coach one day. My kids, they're going to love it. And so after the game, like, I got a lot of things I can tell Christy because I've been watching her. Like, like I'm writing things down. Like, okay, well, you probably would want to use her. And so after the game, uh, one thing that I did a lot <laughs> was that I would tell her all of the things that she could improve on. And, and understand this. And, like, she's one of the best players on the team. And, and a lot of times, like, she'd be scoring goals and sometimes two goals, sometimes three goals. But, like, my first thing was, like, Chris, like, you can use your body better. You can, you can have a better put. And, and what I happened, what I realized after a while is that it was kind of falling on deaf ears. Because after the game, I, I never really ever came with good news. I never really was like, Chris, like, you killed it today. Like, you're the best player on this team. I'm like, Chris, this is what you can do to improve. And this is, this is a problem I know I have in my life in other areas. I want to improve people before I want to praise people. I'm just being honest. And so here's the reason that Christianity fails a lot of the time is because before we want to praise people and build people up, we want to change them. When Jesus said repent, that was the secondary thing. He wanted you to change as a result of him already having good news. He didn't tell you to change without first telling you why. Because I have something better. What I have to offer is better than the world's best thing, if you guys listen to Chance the Rapper. Jesus came with news, not advice. Advice came afterwards. We need to understand the good news of who Jesus was. Jesus changes us as a result of the good news. You see, friends, 
a lot of times people think that Christianity is all about what you should do. Jesus came to say that Christianity is all about what I have done. He's done something. And that something is his death on the cross. He died for us to give us new life. And if you came here without hope, if you came here feeling down, if you came here feeling like, what can I do to improve my life? Guess what? Jesus already did it. He died for you to give you new life, to give you purpose. Jesus came to change us. Friends, Jesus, what he has for our life, it is the best thing possible. And I'm going to say something offensive. And I hope this offends you. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you guys seen the pictures or like captions like, I'm out here living my best life? Have you guys heard that one before? Like, we just live in our best life, and it's like you taking a selfie. <laughs> if you don't have Jesus in your life, and he's not an active part of your life, you are not living your best life. You're not living the best life. You're missing something. You see, and that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't worried about behavior. He's like, you're missing something. I am that something. We are changed because of who he is, because of what he has done for us. Friends, if we're not, if we, and, and this is, I'm, I'm speaking to, to believers right now. If you're not a believer, don't feel isolated. If you are a believer and you cannot articulate why having Jesus in your life is the best thing ever, good luck convincing someone else to become a believer. If you can't articulate it, we can't expect anyone else to believe it. Jesus had a way of articulating it to the point where crowds followed him massively. They couldn't get enough of him because he could articulate exactly what they felt, exactly what they needed, exactly what they were missing. He says, repent and believe the good news. He continues walking. It says, as Jesus was walking... Uh, beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. So we're seeing this progression of Jesus. You see, first Jesus wants to change us. He wants to change us. He wants us to believe that we need him. There's something in us that longs for him. Our soul, our hearts cry out for him. He changes us. And once he changes us, the next thing he does is he challenges us. He challenges us. He goes, to, he goes and he begins walking and he sees these two men and he says, come. He says, come and follow me. And it's funny, I told you guys that Mark is in a hurry as he writes. And so if, if you guys are thinking to yourself, like, Jesus said two words and people followed him, like, that's kind of weird. Mark has just sort of given us the gist of what happened. If you read other books in the Bible, they paint an even fuller picture, but none of them paint the complete and full and accurate picture of what Jesus actually said to those men that day on the shore. And so this week I decided to kind of imagine, like what did Jesus say to those men that they wanted to follow them, follow him? And I can almost imagine this conversation, like Jesus is walking and he sees Andrew and he sees Simon and he sees them fishing and he's like, I see, I see, I see you're a fisherman. I see you there catching your fish, and, and I know right now you probably live a good life because the fish are biting. This is your income. This is, this is your source of living. This is your identity. I, I see that. Simon and Andrew, if you keep on with those fish, if you keep on fishing, you're, you're going to live a good life. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not going to be a good life. But there's, there's something that I want to propose to you. You could come with me. 
And if you came with me, I'm, I'm going to teach you things that, that you never thought were possible. You're going to see things you can only begin to imagine. And Andrew and Simon, these fish are great. The money's good. But I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm, I'm going to do something in your life that you couldn't have done without me. I'm going to change you so deeply that I'm not just going to change your occupation. I'm not just going to change your behavior. I'm going to change your belief on life. That there is something more. There is something more. You see, what I believe in, in, that, in that call that Jesus gave when he challenged them, I think that Jesus' plea was filled with passion. And friends, I just want to say this. As a church, why we exist, why does Kingdom Church exist? We exist for people who don't come to church. That is why we do this. If you're a Christian, come on, you clap your hands. If you're here and you're like, I don't believe in God, Perfect. This is the place for you. This is where we want you to be. If you're here and you believe in God, I have a challenge for you. Because Jesus challenges. If you do not have passion about Jesus, good luck having anyone follow you. Good luck inviting someone to church. God spoke to me this week. I, I saw a friend. I was at the gym. I work out occasionally when I'm injured. I'm oft injured. You guys remember the chair last week, the stool up here. Um, I was at the gym and I saw my friend and uh, I hadn't seen him since our church launched. That was about six weeks ago, so you can, in your head, see who was inconsistent at the gym. It was one of us. I'm not going to say which one it was. Uh, so I hadn't seen him in a few weeks, and uh, he asked me, he's like, how was your church launch? Because I had invited him to church, because I live to invite people to this church. Because I love this place, and Jesus moved here. And so I invited him. He didn't come, which is fine. Some of you guys know what that's like. And uh, I invited him, and he didn't come, and so he asked, how was church launch? And I was like, man, it was good. I was like, we had like, it was crazy. There was like 200 people or so. And like, it was just awesome. And now we're just kind of grinding, moving forward. And it was good. And he's like, sweet, man, sweet. And uh, we kind of just parted ways. And then God spoke to me a little bit later. And in, in so few words, he's like, what was that? <laughs> if Jesus, I'm not going to say it, never mind. That was going to be inappropriate. I'm the pastor here, I can say it. Should I just say it? Listen, I, I'm, there's a conflict in my head. I'm not sure who's speaking to me right now. <laughs> Essentially, what Jesus was saying was, like, what the heck was that? You guys figure out what the rest was. What was that? And then he asked me a question. He's like, if someone came up to you and presented whatever it was the way you just presented it to them, would you have gone? And I was like, no. And then he brought me to a conversation I had earlier a few weeks ago. I met with a lady, a lovely lady, and uh, she, she's part of a brand um, called Melaleuca. Melaleuca is, is cleaning products, lotion products, all these things. And I grew up on Melaleuca. I grew up on the lotions. I love the lotions. I love Renew. That's the stuff I use on my face. And so I met with her, and we were talking uh, about a bunch of things, not just Melaleuca, but one thing that like, she was talking about this product the lotions and the creams and the cleaning products. And as we were talking, her passion was literally seeping out of her pores. You guys ever met someone like that? Where like, you can just tell like they are into this thing. And I was inspired. I'm, I'm, I'm legit telling you, I was inspired. Because here's the thing, I believe in my whole heart. Passion is contagious. It doesn't matter what it is. 
It does not matter what it is. But this is what Jesus said to me. He said, if she is as passionate about lotion as if you were as passionate about lotion as you should be about Jesus, she's like, imagine what you could do. And so then I went back and I was like, what should I have said to my friend at the gym? What I should have said is like, man, that day was one of the best days of my life. The church was absolutely packed. There was an atmosphere you could almost feel. And the best part was at the end of it, over 50 people gave their life to Jesus. And get this, I'm still having stories from people. And they're telling me like, man, my parents aren't believers. They came. They don't know what happened. They raised their hands. They don't know what to do about it. But they accepted Jesus. And, I, and it's crazy. And the Holy Spirit was moving. They'd be like, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is. It doesn't matter. If you're passionate about something, your passion will seep through, and passion is contagious. And that is why Jesus' movement was able to explode. That's why when he came to Simon and Peter, it wasn't like, I, I can help you become fishers of men. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Jesus had this undeniable, unbelievable way to be filled with passion. And with passion, we are able to challenge people. And challenge is a good thing, friends, because if we are not challenged, we'll never be changed. The process to change is through challenge. That's why Jesus always challenged people. And that's why, like, up here I have this battle. I'm like, man, like, I want these people to love Jesus and get to know Jesus. But guess what? If I never challenge you guys, you'll never be changed. And the only way for you to get excited about this church, as excited as I am, is if I continue to challenge you. And so I want to challenge you, be passionate this week. When you invite someone to church next week, because you're all going to invite someone to church, am I right? You can tell them, man, this is the best part of my week. If I didn't have this, I don't know what I would do. I'd be, I'd be missing something. Your passion will be contagious. And, and, and it does not matter if people believe. I want people that don't believe here. If you don't believe, awesome. You're in the place to be. Because, friends, people, they need to belong far before they believe. And people feel like they belong when passion is contagious. It doesn't matter where you are. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, don't get, I, I love Mel Luke. I put it on my face. <laughs> but the passion is so contagious, it makes me want to be a part of it. Right? And she's a very successful lady, and I can see why. Because she's passionate about it. Right? It doesn't matter what it is. Passion is contagious. So Jesus keeps walking down, and he keeps walking down the shore, and it says that he sees two other men. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, Mark's in a rush. He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So this is much the same as the first call that Jesus gives to Andrew and Simon. In fact, it's the exact same, but it underscores something, and it shows us something. It says that they immediately left their father Zebedee and the hired men in the boat. And so what this is meaning to show us is that when these people followed Jesus, they left something behind. They left their father and left their business. So here's the last thing I want us to understand about Jesus, friends. Jesus changes us, he challenges us, and he calls us. He calls us. He calls each and every one of us somewhere. And what this wants to, what, what we're supposed to see in this verse is that, that James and John were not just leaving something. They were leaving everything that they knew. They were leaving their father. They were leaving the family business. They were leaving everything that is comfortable. So here's what we need to understand about Jesus. 
if you have a picture of Jesus that is warm and fuzzy and cuddly and he just wants to give you a big hug and he's never going to take you anywhere, he's going to hold you tight, he does love you, he is going to hug you, but he is going to call us out of comfort. Jesus is the comforter. He comforts us, then he calls us out of comfort. It's like, come on, Jesus, pick which one you're going to be. He comforts us. He's our joy. He's that peace, but he also calls us out of comfort. Here's a belief that I have, friends. If, if, when we are in comfort, there is no growth. Where there is comfort, there is no growth. The only way to grow is to be uncomfortable. That's why after you work out, like when I do that every once in a while, I feel sore because your muscle is growing. And it's uncomfortable, but without discomfort, there's no growth. And so Jesus will always and continually call us out of comfort. It's, it's funny, I was reflecting this week, I just, what was my picture of Jesus growing up? And, and I, I remember back, I went to this Christian conference when I was younger, and uh, there was all these people with free hug t-shirts. You're like, what's a free hug t-shirt? They literally have a free hug and say, come give me a hug. If you're a Christian, like you've been in, you've probably seen this people before. And uh, I remember I was like 10 or 11, 12, whatever, and I was like, man, Christians are the weirdest people in the world. <laughs> I was like, Lord, help me if I give this person a free hug. But it's funny, and if you're a free hug person, I got nothing against you. Hugs are a good thing. But the picture of Jesus that comes with that whole free hug thing is that Jesus is safe. Jesus is comfortable. But the picture of Jesus, we're reimagining Jesus. You see, Jesus will always call us out of comfort. If you're feeling comfortable, you're not growing. There are people in this room right now, and you are uncomfortable being here. And that's why we want you here. Because that means you are growing. That means something is happening. You don't know what it is. You can't explain it, but something is happening. If you're sitting here and you've been here for a few weeks, and you're like, man, these guys got comfortable chairs. I got my spot. I got my seat. I just, Harrison's going to speak. You are not growing. And Jesus is about to call you out of that place that was comfortable. And he's about to call you into something better than you could ever even imagine, something that you could ever even hope. Jesus is calling you into something. It's funny, when, when I started, I guess when, when God kind of made things happen and like we knew that we were going to plant this church, um, it was awesome because like this is a dream of mine. And uh, the calling of God kind of corresponded with the dream in my heart. And so I thought, like, man, this is going to be awesome. Like, I'm living the dream because I'm stepping into my calling, and my calling matches up with where I want to be. We're seven weeks in. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. You see, I thought that the calling was going to be comfortable but I'm very uncomfortable. I'm just, I'm just, I've been open with you guys today, man. There used to be a time in my life when I went to bed, when I would go to bed, I would fall asleep. Literally every single night when I lay in bed, I think about this church. I think about the people. I think about the people on our team. And I'm like, man, like, I can do a better job. I, I need to, like, I can't, I, like, am I doing, and it's just all these stress, all these thoughts, like, are we going to fail? Am, am I doing enough? Am I, and then, and it's just hard. I wake up at 6.30 on Saturday mornings now. That's hard. <laughs> but guess what? What makes it worth it? The reason I'll lay in bed, I'll roll around for the rest of my life if I have to, is every single week when someone raises their hand, every single time someone makes a decision for Jesus, 
comfort goes out the window. I'll be uncomfortable. It's hard, fine, but if someone's life changes, it's worth it. It's more than worth it. Friends, I just want to call you right now. If you're feeling comfortable, and I'm telling you, God's about to call you out of it. And that's not a bad thing. He's about to take you somewhere. He's going to do something with your life that you never even imagined was possible. He didn't even imagine. Like, how could this happen? Because when God calls us out of comfort, he does something in our life that we never, ever thought was possible. Andrew, Simon, Peter, James, and John, they're all about to see. And what they will see is that Jesus is going to take them on a journey that they never thought was possible. Millions of lives for the rest of eternity are changed because of these men. Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life. We hope that message inspired you, encouraged you, and allowed you to see God in a brand new light. Hey, if you would like any more information, if you want to contact us, if you would like us to contact you, or you want to hear more messages just like this, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and you will find everything that you need. We'll see you soon.